God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to today's episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by my amazing co-host, Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well, Marcos. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. A little tired. This is study leave week for me, um, which is very different from a vacation because it means that I get to read and write for hours and hours and hours at a time. Um, so I'm a little bit fried. I'm not going to lie. A little fried tonight. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, that's fair. Uh, it's been a whirlwind of the day for me. Um, you know, one of the aspects of my job is we uh, kind of like the crowning event of our of the organization is an annual festival that's in May. So that's ramping up. And uh, I had I was doing a lot of, you know, writing as well. Um and you know, emailing and whatnot for that. So, um, so we might be in the same boat. Although I, I didn't quite put out as many words as you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four thousand words today. So it was a bit of a writing marathon. But God is good. We're gonna have a good conversation Amen. tonight because we're talking about something um, that means a lot to a lot of people, um, and it really does flow out of what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And so, if people um, are a little unfamiliar of where we've been over the last couple of weeks. Well, first, I encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. It's going to be helpful um, for understanding where we're coming from politically. We're talking about political issues. And two weeks ago, Lisa, you walked us through kind of your political grid and really how Scripture informs the way you view the political issues of the day. Um, Then last week, I did the same thing. And so today, we get to really the first issue and we're going to spend the entire episode talking about one issue, and that issue is religious liberty. Now, this has become a very important issue in public discourse, especially for Christians. Um, what is the place of religious liberty in the nation? Um, what, how does that inform the way we vote? And, and there are a whole lot of nuances to this conversation. We're probably not going to get to all of them. Um, we are not religious liberty scholars. We're not constitutional scholars by any stretch. But neither are most of the folks who are in the voting booth. And yet this is an important issue for them and an important issue for you specifically. A couple weeks ago, when you walked us through the grid uh, and really your biblical convictions that lead you to vote a particular way, religious liberty was one of the ones at the top of your list. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to just give you some space. I'm going to throw this to you. Why is religious liberty so important? Um, Where do you get the conviction that religious liberty has to be a central part of um, the way we approach politics? And really just kind of let you walk us through that. And I'll ask some questions as I get them. Okay, sure. 
So, you know, when we think about what's, what, what are the things that are important? What are the priorities? And I think there's one, um, one aspect of this that we have to remember that throughout church history, the church has responded to various, um, assaults, if you will, on its doctrine and practice. And so you'll find over time, you know, what was being addressed in the fourth century is not the same thing that was being addressed in the 16th century because what the church was doing and why we have such a voluminous output of, you know, of uh, written material um, is that, you know, as, as questions arise either directly on the church or in the overall culture, and that ends up being a an, an assault, for lack of a better word, um, a challenge to you know to to the church's positioning. Then the church responds, and I think that in this particular point of time, religious liberty is is there. Um, I would put abortion on that same plane, and we'll we'll talk about that next week. Um, but at this point of time, because of what the church is being challenged with in the larger society, in terms of where the larger society is, um, religious liberty, in my opinion, is becoming more important. Um, if you recall, in, pre in previous episodes, I mentioned that one, we've all, we already have the United States and our Constitution, and I'm glad you said we're not constitutional uh, scholars, so that kind of lowers the bar for me. Thank you. I'll do whatever <laughs> um, I can to lower the bar, believe me. <laughs> but you know, it's the idea of what you know what what is the what is the platform that the United States, the political platform um, that the United States was founded on. And it was, you know, the United States was formed specifically because of, I mean, it wasn't the only issue, but they were escaping the tyranny of the monarchy of England. And so what we have are founding principles that ensures a lack of state interference into religious matters, that people should be free to worship um, and of course, that worship is anchored around a, a biblical ethic. I mean, are, you know, this question comes up, are we a Christian nation? I would say no, in that we are not, you know, the, so the president is not, you know, the chief, you know, spiritual advisor, thank God. Um, but that, but, but certainly those, um, you know, the, that biblical ethic was in place when it was founded. And so as long as you have a society that is kind of anchoring its morality in accordance with what is right, what is virtuous, and when we can get that from Scripture, um, then, you know, that then there should be, there should be freedom, freedom of conscience for the individual freedom of conscience for the church. At this particular time in history, what we're seeing is that being severely challenged, and primarily due to the LGBTQ plus agenda, that 
on the surface seems like it's about equality. It's about a lack of discrimination. But in order for there to be tolerance, it seems like there is a, a cultural ethos that is moving its way into being codified into law, that nothing can stand in the way of this particular agenda being implemented. And so what that means for Christians is that we either have to, we have to go along to get along. You know, we saw that happen in the case of the, the cake bakers who, you know, and, and guys, this is what drives me nuts. It's not about the people don't want to bake a cake for gay people. They don't want to serve gay people. That is discrimination. What it is about is that is is not wanting to violate the conscience by participating in a ceremony that celebrates something that goes against a biblical ethic. Um, and so what we're seeing is this pressure from the larger society that says, you know, the, the church is not going to be allowed to take a position on, uh, you know, on in what is being deemed as discrimination against homosexuals, you know, and that and, and the concern is when it comes to the church's own government, church, the church's own organization, you know, can you even talk about homosexuality? Can you have, um, can you bar members or can you bar, um, um, you know, leaders who, you know, who take that position? Well, right now, you know, we, we have, we have freedom in that as a religious institution. And the concern is that with this larger cultural pressure that we just will not be able to take that position. Um, and so that this is why I think religious liberty has become very important at this particular point in time. So these are First Amendment issues, right? And this is where it gets really dicey. These things are laid out for us in the First Amendment. While we're not congressional scholars, I think it's good to still read really quickly the First Amendment so that we have an idea why this discussion plays into the political sphere. Um, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, they managed, the framers managed to put a whole bunch of stuff into one amendment, um, but we can already see how some of this debate is um, being framed around the First Amendment. We can't establish a, a religion as the public religion, right? We're not going to be a theocracy. At the same time, the government or Congress in this respect is not able to get in the way of people practicing their religion. Um, there ha cannot be any abridging of free speech. Now, this becomes really, really challenging when it's actually applied to particular issues, um, and so now we're, we're having to ask this question, okay, what is a free speech issue? So I remember a few years ago, um, someone took a shot at pastors in Texas and tried to collect a ton of sermons to see if there was hate speech in the sermons. 
And um, I mean, liberal, liberal, liberal clergy were like, no, 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 you can absolutely not do this. Um, it was an across the board. Like it is, it was very, it is very rare to get both conservative and liberal Christians on the same <laughs> side of something. This one did it. Everybody said, absolutely not. You cannot do this because it is a clear violation of the First Amendment. Was this the, um, the incident in Houston? I think it was in Houston. Yeah. Houston, um, yeah, okay. yeah. And, and you know, it, it got a little bit of a pop. It was a um, it was a fringe thing that happened. And the whole of the church said, no chance is this going to happen. Um, but th- there's there's challenges because freedom of expression is an important um, value in the United States. And, um, one of the charges against this kind of, um, religious liberty conversation is that religious liberty in itself is a violation of the first amendment because it's, it's establishing a religion. Um, so in the first amendment, right, Congress shall make no no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Neither thing can happen. We can't establish a religion as the religion of the United States. We also can't prohibit it. And I've heard people say, listen, all this freedom of religion language actually isn't about freedom of religion. It's about promoting Christianity as the religion of the United States. So how would you respond to that? Oh, boy. Um, and, and I think where you'll see this come up it, with respect to, you know, protection of mosques. Um, I am in favor of protection of mosques specifically because if we're going to have freedom of religion, then we need to have freedom of religion. Um, we can't say, because otherwise you're right, other, otherwise we're saying, well, it's all about protecting Christianity. Now, do I have a bias about that? Absolutely. Um, but I have heard arguments against, you know, you know, any, you know, when it comes to the, the rights of Islam and particularly concern of, you know, the establishment of Sharia law. Some of, a lot of that is, you know, hyperbole and, and fear mongering, but, you know, but in that there are some valid concerns, but here's the thing. If we're, if we are really going to abide by the spirit of the First Amendment, then we have we, we have to allow those protections. So, um, I guess the the next step in this is if you know the, a lot of this comes to the fore when we are talking about the LGBTQ plus community, um, their rights, their protections. We're going to talk about that as we as we go through these episodes because that is so uh, pervasive in culture. It it actually goes. It impacts a whole bunch of different issues, and it's not something that's like, hey, let's just do one episode on this. We're going to have to hit this a handful of times as we go, um, and and we may spend a full episode talking about it, but in the religious liberty conversation, couldn't it be argued that um, the, the worldview that embraces the LGBTQ plus lifestyle is in and of itself a protected worldview. Like how do, how do Christians protect their worldview and not allow the LGBTQ plus community to press their worldview forward, which would say our worldview is out of bounds. 
Um, it, it seems like we have two competing worldviews here that uh, can they coexist? Like, how do they coexist together um, so that everybody's freedoms and religious liberty isn't used as a as a cudgel against people's freedoms? Like, how do we keep everybody free? Right. And I think that, you know, I, I think you're right to bring up that tension. Um, the I think the superficial response is that where we see a lack of tolerance, like if there's one group that has more of a lack of tolerance in terms of you be free to do worship as you will, I would have to say it would be on the pro-LGBTQ plus part, um, whereby you have, you know, I mean, action taken against private institutions for what is deemed to be discrimination, and it's really not. Um, that, you know, that absolutely will not tolerate, you know, any type of, um, in, you know, any type of religious opposition, if you will. Um, yeah, a, a conviction life, that would say uh, that that lifestyle is, is a sinful lifestyle. Right. And right. we're not, you know, and we're not going to have it in our private religious institutions. Um, you know, when we're talking about public, you know, public institutions, um, particularly, you know, those that receive public funds. Okay. Yeah, we get it. You know, there, there are certain, um, parameters that, and, and certain regulations that you have to abide by when you, when you get that federal money. But if you're a private institution and now you're being threatened with not being able to um, you know, have your organization, and in this case, we're talking about the church, we're talking about parachurch organizations, we're talking about private Christian schools, you know, from kindergarten up through higher education, now not being able to establish a criteria that it that makes them that institution. So in this case, you know, we're talking about a Christian school having a Christian standard and now being threatened to not be able to have that standard. That, to me, that's the problem. Well, and that's a, that's a present fear for a lot of folks. And, and I think it's because there have been some moves that have been very concerning. Now, I, I wanna, I'm going to ask a couple questions about religious liberty in a second, but I want to first say, hey, I, I hear where a lot of this is coming from. Um, when Catholic charities are struggling to keep doing the work they're doing because they won't change their um, they won't change their bylaws when it comes to marriage, um, when adoption agencies are being threatened with being shut down because they won't adopt to same sex couples, like these are very real things that are happening right now. And so, what 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 it can sound like is, oh well, this is a slippery slope. We're trying to protect ourselves from something happening in the future. Um, but there are some real warning shots across the bow that have made this more of a concern, um, particularly for those who, who lean in a more conservative direction um, politically. Now, it's, it's, it's in that that I have a couple questions about this, um, because in, in, in the next episode when we talk about abortion, last episode I already said I kind of take that off the table when I think about voting – 
Here, here's my concern about religious liberty, and let's just let's try to keep it. I'm gonna do my best to not really make everybody angry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work hard at that. Um, too late. Too late. I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can imagine the emails. Um, religious liberty is prized by those who lean right and for those who have been supportive of the current administration. Um, and yet, the current administration. And the supporters of this administration, I don't want to just put this on the secular authorities, but Christian supporters have gotten in line behind things like banning folks from other countries um, that are predominantly Muslim. Um, I I hear some really concerning rhetoric, particularly about our Muslim neighbors. Um, You know, there, there is the Sharia law hysteria, which is not just a benign hysteria, but it's also kind of a bigoted Oh well, if they're Muslim, then they are for this. Um, right. There, there have been some real attacks on some um, elected officials. Um, you know, I think of um, a freshman. Uh, I believe she's a representative, um, Omar from Minnesota, who has been regularly attacked and targeted, um, and her faith has been a, a has been part of what's targeted there, um, and so it. it gives me pause when I hear a lot of conservatives talk about religious liberty and then in the same or in the next breath come after our Muslim neighbors. So how is this actually going to play out practically? I understand the principle. We want religious liberty for everybody. Practically, I'm not seeing that play out as much. So how do we is that something that needs to be fixed? And if so, how do we fix that? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, you know, let we need to separate the thing from the abuse of the thing. Um, and in the case of drawing, you know, xenophobic or bigoted conclusions about other people um, and viewing them as, you know, people not made in the image of God, I know that gets tricky when we talk about transgender individuals because I would say, well, no, they're distorting the image of God. But, you know, when we talk about our Muslim neighbors and we talk about, you know, and this also applies to immigrants. And this actually drives me nuts with a lot of the rhetoric that's thrown around and particularly under this administration um, that, you know, to allow that fear of the radical element that is a real concern to then be applied to anybody who fits within that group. Um, And it really is incumbent upon us. It's incumbent upon pastors um, and and us, just as good Christian neighbors, to to do what we can to assuage that, that kind of a bigotry. Um, you know, and kind of separate the real concern from the, you know, from the bias concern. Um, but I think that you're right. It is, you know, it is an issue, um, you know, and, and also being able to understand when decisions are made about particular countries, you know, is it because they're Muslim, or is it because of a 
a, a larger security threat that has nothing to do with the fact that they are, you know, that this, um, um, you know, this country, this particular country is predominantly um, Muslim or, you know, in the case of Nigeria, um, I still have yet to understand Nigeria, but, um, you know, in the case of the bands, you know, are there, um, you know, are there real security threats that arise from this country? And so I think we just need to be um, diligent, do our due diligence about that and not respond so quickly um, with, you know, with, with what what seems to be on the surface. Um, so that's so that's what I'd have to say about that. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. And, um, you know, I think it's it's important that we that we do. I, I like the way you put this, right? We have to kind of distance the thing itself from the abuse of the thing. And we've seen a lot of abuse mm -hmm. um, over the last couple of years. And, and some of these bands, I mean, you just mentioned Nigeria. Like it, it, Some of these things just don't make sense. Um, mm -hmm. They seem punitive. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of these countries that are on the list mm -hmm. um, seem to have some things in common that are concerning. <laughs> right. And, you know, in the case of Nigeria, and here's what really doesn't make any sense to me, is that especially when you look at the activity of Boko Haram, you know, which I guess maybe is, you know, is they're, you know, factoring that into the equation. And listen, there are, there are organizations, there are United States organizations that are, you know, have a whole lot more information than we do in terms of what what is actually going on on the ground. But at the same time in Nigeria, you also have a rising level of uh, persecution against Christians. And so if this administration, as you know, it claims to be more supportive of uh, you know, addressing that persecution, uh, you know, I would think there would be some balancing out. Again, that's, you know, speaking from a very limited perspective. Um, but just given where, you know, the, the fact that the Christians are being persecuted in that country, um, it, you know, that that's a hard one. Yeah, it, that's been a challenge because a lot of the people who are trying to get out of Nigeria and a lot of the people who are refugees in Nigeria are brothers and sisters. And mm -hmm. so to to put a ban on that country um, was a painful thing to see. Um, yeah. Now, an, another thing that I, I think would be helpful if you can kind of help me disentangle this as well. Um, a lot of the conversation around religious liberty can kind of sound like Christian protectionism. Um, and so there is a, um, you know, this was huge during the 2016 election. A lot of folks very concerned that if Hillary Clinton became the president, that a lot of the rights that the church enjoys now, um, for example, tax-exempt status and stuff like that, would be under direct threat. And that was part of the rationale for why some folks voted the way that they did. And so I, I wonder, is Christian protectionism a valid um, thing for us to be concerned about or is this not quite Christian protection? It's like, what is it that I'm seeing? Because it sounds a lot like, oh, we're scared about what's going to happen to us. Therefore, we're going to vote this way, even though those votes may really um, hurt other folks. We're more concerned about our own Christian protectionism. And so um, how do we navigate that? Because it, it is, 
it's difficult for me to see kind of the the laying down of of ourselves for the other, which is a, a Christian principle through and through. How does that work with Christian protectionism? How do we untangle this? This seems to be a ball of yarn that's pretty tough to work through. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't speak for other people. I can speak for how I how I consider my perspective. And that goes back to what I have said previously in the uh, two episodes ago when I kind of laid out the case for my biblical theology of politics. And that is our highest allegiance. Uh, you know, just looking at the first commandment, you know, you should have no other gods before me. Our allegiance is to the Lord and it's to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means also allegiance to his body. And where we have a system in place that enables the church to, you know, to have a voice to thrive, um, to, to neglect or to even be in opposition to things that would diminish that religious liberty, um, that, that enablement for the church to have a voice. To me, that goes against the grain of having the church as a priority. And I'm talking about from a theological perspective, not a, not a political perspective. And so when I see, um, you know, when I see support of policies that diminish religious liberty, in my mind, that is a direct affront to the church. Um, so, I mean, you can, and I know that some people look at it as Christian protectionism. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as giving the church a priority as we should. So, so theologically, that makes sense. But then when we get to policy conversations, um, we've brought the political back into this, right? And everything in politics is a trade-off. Um, that's why, you know, one of the things that I, I laid out last week is our politics are always pragmatic. We're always, it's always a trade-off. That's how it works in a representative democracy like this. Um, and, and the pushback that I feel here is when it comes to policy and we're looking at somebody's, um, explicit platform, right? And so you have, um, you know, for example, there have been candidates who have come out who have said, we are going to do everything in our power to make sure that abortion is a constitutional right. Um, we have, we've heard folks talk that way. Um, that's deeply concerning language, right? Um, now, to vote against that um, and say, listen, I'm going to vote for the candidate that I think can beat that platform, the question then becomes, well, what am I voting for, Right. So religious liberty. When you hear somebody like, um, like, Pre like, like, um, not president, like candidate Clinton talking about um, making some noise that's really concerning about religious liberty, making us wonder about things like tax exempt status, making us wonder about things like the protection of our speech as pastors. Um, although I'm much less concerned about my um, protection as a pastor, I'm much more concerned about the folks who are in the office building um, during Pride Week who don't want to have the rainbow flag on their cubicle. Like, that's the person who can lose their job over this. I'm not going to lose my job over this, right? Um, so, uh, I mean, those are the folks I'm working I get all the concerns. But then when the platform that we are voting for also includes um, some pretty profound abuse 
of immigrants, um, the stripping away of protections for the poor when it comes to the social safety net. Like these are also things that really are important to the church. These are also things that are moral issues, right? So this isn't like um, a, a particular percentage on the capital gains tax. Um, right. You know, I mean, that that can be a moral conversation, but I don't think that it measures to the level of how we are treating people who are coming into this country illegally. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about the policy. I'm talking about the way we are going to treat them. That policy um, is what I have in mind here. The trade-off doesn't seem... Um, that's where the protectionism charge comes from. We're so mm-hmm. concerned about protecting protecting our liberty that we are willing to allow others to be abused um, because that's that's what we ended up voting for. We'd rather protect our liberty, even if that means the infringement of other people's liberty. And that 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 conundrum is one that I where I really struggle with saying, well, then my liberty has to come first. Even though my allegiance theologically is always to the kingdom first, politically it gets really, really complicated. Yeah, and that's you know, and that's that's hard for me. That's challenging for me, you know, as someone who who does typically vote Republican. Um, it was definitely very difficult for me in the 2016 election um, to the point where I had to do a write-in because I just like my conscience just could not, you know, could not bear it. And so it's a conflict. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It is a conflict. Um, but I want to point our listeners to an article um, that was published on February 10th, uh, 2020, in the National Review online. And the title of it is Understanding Why Religious Conservatives Would Vote for Trump. Um, I think he makes a very brilliant and balanced case for what he calls the reluctant Trump voters. You know, those who acknowledge there's, hey, there, there's some things we're getting in this deal that are not cool. But in the order of priorities, um, th- this is why we're voting the way that we did. My only quibble with, with in his 4,000 words, and it is 4,000 words, so it takes a little bit to read, but that's okay because it's worth every 4,000 words. My only quibble in that is that I thought he could have made a stronger case for the assault on religious liberty. It's in there, it's peppered in the essay, but I think he could have made his case a little bit stronger. Um, for that. He talked a lot about abortion, um, but I would encourage our readers to, you know, to, to give it, to give it a, a look over, um, you know, un- understand where, again, it's understanding where people are coming from. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's, it's a hard sell. Um, I wish that we could do better when it comes to immigration policy, and here's where I would advocate for, you know, uh, contacting your local representative um, and, you know, and working through those channels, you know, being a, a squeaky will in that regard. You know, everybody's looking at the president, but it's like, okay, so, you know, we have the checks and balances for a reason. We have this, this thing set up the way it is because Congress actually makes the law. So they're the people that really need to have the people's ears. Yeah. Checks and balances. 
checks and balances. Yeah, um, it's it's supposed to work that <laughs> it's way. Supposed Let's to work that it, way. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just leave way. that alone for a second. <laughs> I I don't want to go there. Um, but, but I think yeah, that article um in the National Review I think is going to be helpful for folks at least and better understanding why people made the trade off. Um, but I think it is important that people also understand there was a trade off made, and and that um, you know I, I think I am much more comfortable with a Christian saying, listen, I voted in this way, but I understand the trade-off that I made. And I understand that now, now that I have voted in this way because of religious liberty, um, I am going to speak out in favor of the immigrant. I'm going to um, push back against this administration for the ways they are abusing people, for the ways that they are, because uh, there have been abuses by this administration on people. I, I don't think we can deny that. Um, and I think what what I what has been painful for me, and I'll just be very honest here, what has been painful for me is um, those same people who said we were just holding our nose and voting for this president, I have not heard 81% of evangelicals speaking out against uh, explicitly anti-Christian policy or character in this administration. And so it makes me wonder how much we were holding the nose, how much we recognize there actually was a trade-off happening here. If somebody comes to me and says, I know there was a trade-off, and that's why, even though I voted the way I did, I'm going to stand here and 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 protest or at least you know do what I can. I'm going to call my representative. I'm going to tell my congressperson who is part of the president's party to um, stand against these policies. I don't hear that. Yeah. And that's why I encourage a reading of this article, because he does do that. You know, he does recognize the trade-offs. Um, he doesn't really talk about immigration specifically. Um, maybe he should. Um, but he definitely acknowledges that there are trade-offs. So that that um, article, again, that's on the National Review. Andrew T. Walker is the author of that article, mm -hmm. and uh, we commend that to you just for better understanding. Um, and that's that's really, you know, religious liberty is an issue that is an important issue. No Christian is going to be going out of their way to find more perse persecution for the church. Um, persecution for the church is not a good thing. Um, the The debate is, it really does center around the trade-off. Um, is, is this worth it to vote in a particular way? And we're going to come to different conclusions on that. Um, and that's okay to come to different conclusions, but we have to have that conversation. Um, and, and people need to understand that just because people made the trade-off doesn't mean they don't care about these other issues. Um, they do care about these other issues, but this was the way they voted for the issues that they prioritize. And so that's important. Um, but it's also important that those of us who didn't vote in a particular direction, um, it's not because we hate religious liberty. It's because we weren't willing to make that trade-off. Right. And so these are important um these are important conversations that our folks need to be having. I encourage people have these in your small groups, even have these in your church, have these conversations face to face, because that's when you'll really start to get some, uh, get some headway and at least getting to know one another a little bit better. Yeah, that's great. And, and as it turns out in our small group in our church small group, we are going to be reading um, Jesus outside the lines by Scott Saul. And so this is going to be, um, it's going to be very interesting. 
So we'll see about that. There you go. It's going to be interesting. Well, that is it for today. Lisa, thank you for walking us through that issue. Next week, we are jumping into the issue of abortion. So we're going from controversial to even more controversial. Um, but it's it's important that we have these conversations. My prayer is that this is encouraging to folks, um, that this helps them at least understand where the other person is coming from, even if they can't um, agree with them. So thank you, Lisa, for, for this. Um, that's all for this episode of Family Discussion. We hope to see you back here next week for our next conversation as we walk through all these political issues. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>